Trish and Nicole and their expert guests are here to answer all your burning questions about aesthetics procedures, candid discussions and stories of the latest trends and greatest gadgets. From dry vagina to frozen faces, Aesthetics Uncensored, where nothing is off limits. Hello listeners, it's Trish Hammond here together with Nicole Montgomery and we're from the Aesthetics Uncensored podcast and today we are joined by the delightful Dr. Maz. Now Dr. Maz is the Director of Star Cosmetic Medicine which is based in Sydney and also in Darlinghurst and today we've got a really interesting top topic and we're going to be talking about the secret of the sorry the secret of cosmetic medicine. What would it, what like it's kind of like the secrets of cosmetics medicine. Hey, Dr. Maz, yeah. all the things and so the questions that it's something that people talk about, um, and there's a lot of myths, misconceptions. It's good to talk about the real history of it from the perspective of someone that works in the industry. Yeah, and on that, you've been in the industry for quite a while, haven't you? Um, yeah, more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> So how long are you going to admit to? Uh, well, I've been doing cosmetic medicine for about 20 years or so. Beforehand, I was an ICU doctor. That's what I was going to ask you. So, so what led you to choose cosmetic medicine when you're working in ICU? Um, that's a good question. Um, I've always had an interest in a lot of areas, surgery, emergency, ICU, but also cosmetic medicine. Um, and particularly in cosmetic medicine, we're dealing with concepts of creativity, of beauty. Mm-hmm. Most medicine, for good reasons, is still reductionist. You're dealing with ways of doing things, protocols, algorithms. Uh, but it's great to be working with something that's a lot more nebulous, a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, like for me, the lure as well to the aesthetic industry is, um, is the fact that, you know, I want to look good. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I want to look good. I want to know, you know, what's out there to look good. And I want to hear about all the latest things that, you know, can make you look, or look better, not necessarily look good, but I want to look the best I possibly can for my, for my, um, uh, my age and my well-being, I guess, uh, um, of course. So that's the lure for me. So I wonder whether a lot of people get into it because they want to look good. Why, why did you become a nurse, Nicole? You're on, you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at Dr. Maz's website. Oh, my goodness. Um, definitely not to look good. Um, no, I started nursing to help people. Yeah. I, it makes me feel better about myself um, helping others. So mm-hmm. that's what I like about nursing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love um like doctors and nurses. I just I admire you both so much because I couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm happy to go and get everything done, but I just couldn't do what, what um, you could. You're you very said. nurturing. You could. Why do you think you couldn't do it, Trish? Beg your pardon? Why do you think he couldn't do it? You obviously have an interest in aesthetics. I do. I know. I just, uh, well, number Why one, you- I, I wouldn't be that dedicated to the study. And um, I just want the, I just want to look good, really. I wouldn't actually want to, you know, worry about others looking as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's such look- a random thing to say, but that's how I feel. Well, it's good to look after your own grooming. Mm. Um, sometimes feel almost reticent about saying yeah I want to look good mm. but after the way we look the way we feel it's an important part of your sense of self mm. like get obsessed with it uh, that, but that applies to work to money to politics but a little bit of grooming looking after yourself well 
it restores a bit of living. Mm. Not always life like an ICU, but you're restoring a little bit of living. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And, and it's really funny because if you feel if you feel like you look good, you actually end up feeling good. Like, well, that's how it is for me. I know that when I feel like I look like crap, I feel like crap. Whereas if I feel good, I'm confident. I'm better at what I do. I'm liked more by other people. It's just it's just one of those things that um, you know, if you you know, when you look good for yourself, it makes you feel better. But when you look good for other people, you do it. It does give you a bit more sort of um kudos or respect or whatever word you want to use for that like people like people that look good especially in this industry i think it's a lot of it's your as you said your confidence mm. uh, trish mm. um i'm sure people like you for not how pretty your hair is or how good your jawline is but for what you say what you think mm. but for you, doing it for you you're feeling by doing that, you're feeling more confident, and that rolls into how people see you. Mm, that's so true. So, so you've been in this business for 20 years. I only found out just the other day. I think Botox has only been around, or in Australia anyway. Um, Botox has only been around for what 20, 30 years. It's been around for about 30 years in Australia, less than that. Because um, I didn't even know there was such a thing, like really, and now everybody knows about it. But you can bet you like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, not everybody knew that that sort of thing was available. I just thought the movie stars looked that good because they just looked that good. I didn't realise they were having, you know, aesthetic treatments and using cosmetic medicine to make themselves look better. It was a real surprise to me. (laughs) Well, I always say, think it's really fascinating. I like old movies sometimes. Have a look at... Movies from the golden years of Hollywood, say, about 30, 40 years ago. And you see acting men, acting women, the leading men and leading women, um, they don't look like they look like now. You look at Cary Grant in a movie and you're thinking, he's looking a bit old for a leading man. And you see how old he is and it's like 35 in that role. 35 nowadays is not what it used to be. That is so true. But yeah, usually to have good-looking people for Hollywood, but perspectives of good or normality even Mm -hmm. has changed, I think, in Hollywood over the last 20, 10 years even. Mm, That's true. So when you started in the industry 20 years ago, how did you, because at the moment, like um, for people who want to get into the industry now, there's lots of training and all that sort of thing available to uh, doctors and nurses, but was there 30 years ago? Like how did it start? Well, I was quite lucky. I had quite a lot of uh, surgical colleagues and I learned a lot from them. Um, But even still in Australia, there's there's no formal uh, governing body for cosmetic medicine. If you want to be a general surgeon or a nephritist, there's a college that's governmentally recognised. There is no government-recognised body officially. There's a lot of semi-formal bodies like the CPSA, uh, the College of Surgeons, um, which are excellent place for training, but it's no regulatory governing body, at least not yet. Do you reckon that's in the process of changing, though? Uh, I've been talking about having that change in the last, well, since I've been a cosmetic doctor. Yeah, a um, long time. I hate extra bureaucracy and paperwork. But there's also 
I think there needs to be um, some accountability and a regulatory framework. So things, there's a certain um, level of proficiency and it's also uh, when people go and see that cosmetic surgeon or cosmetic physician, they um, know that they're being treated well to a certain at least basic level standard of care. Mm -hmm. Right now, uh, you could be a, a doctor, just finished medical school, doesn't know which is the sharp end of a needle, um, and call yourself a cosmetic doctor. Or you could be a nurse that officially needs to work underneath a doctor, just out of nursing school, and mm-hmm. do likewise. Mm-hmm. So going back to the history, I think cosmetics actually started um, with in Egypt. I just Googled it. <laughs> Um, do you not have any background on, on who or how initially fillers came about? Uh, well, trying to look good, we have records dating back, yes, to Egypt and even earlier. Um, you see often in paintings on walls in Egyptian times, hieroglyphics, you see makeup around eyes. They had an idea of what looks beautiful. You see statues, certain proportions. You often see the golden mean in those uh, proportions. Um, And we were seeking what looks beautiful. Uh, But cosmetic surgery, cosmetic medicine, it really came to the fore, the surgical part, after World War II, where there was a lot of horrific injuries, burns. And that's really when face surgery um, got a start. For fillers, they've been used a lot longer than people think, um, about 100 years. And the first filler was actually silicon, which is in some ways good because your body doesn't react to it, but it's bad long-term use as a filler because silicon by itself can spread into tissues too easily and it's like glue. It's very hard to get out. It's like um, um, chewing gum in hair and where it might look good in the beginning as it migrates, doesn't look great at the end. Uh, but modern fillers really came about with the early collagens and early hyaluronic acids about 30, 40 years ago. Um, I'm old enough to remember when we had collagen before we had good HA fillers, hyaluronic acid fillers. It was often called, it was called Zyplast um, or various different collagen analogs. And they were made from usually cow. And you still have some dermal fillers around that are based on bovine collagen, which is cow collagen. Often you'd have to have a test beforehand on your forearm to make sure you're not allergic to it. And they were okay, but they weren't ideal. There was a decent amount of allergies with them. Um, and they often didn't last long. About 25, 30 years ago, we had emergence of HA fillers, which are, I think, pretty much dominant now. Uh, there's other fillers as well, but most fillers are made from something called hyaluronic acid. Now, what's hyaluronic acid? It's a big, essentially, sugar molecule that we have naturally in our bodies. It's what makes skin full and plumpy. When we're young, we have lots of it. As we get older, it thins out, skin becomes thinner. And with cosmetic medicine, cosmetic injectables, you're either replacing more that you've lost or putting some more structure in where you never had much in the first place. 
It's so interesting. I'm hearing that the 80s was the boom. <laughs> it said 30 to 40 years ago. So I'm thinking that the 80s is when cosmetic medicine got very exciting. Do, do people still have permanent fillers? Um, yes. There's even one that's still TJ approved in Australia called Acromed. It has pros. The biggest pro, well, is your body cannot break it down, but has a lot of cons. Um, your face changes you get older. If you look at your own face five years ago, look at those Facebook photos, your face changes. And fillers, even if they don't migrate, and they always do, um, they would move with it. It becomes part of a problem in the future rather than a solution. So fillers aren't ideal. You have um, potentially something that might look good for the first year, but might become a problem for ever after that. And it has to be surgically removed. It's difficult to remove. How, uh, as a client, oh, sorry, Trish, would you decide between doing a energy-based treatment on somebody to reverse the signs of aging or uh, injectables? No, it's a good question. And I think we can talk about other modalities as well, even skincare or frids or mechanical means or liposuctions. Um, there's no one uber treatment. Otherwise, you'd go into your cosmetic doctor and only have one treatment for everything. There's different things for different areas. For superficial areas, for skin, pigmentation, the, the dermal, epidermal layer, that's where energy treatments usually are used. And why? Well, some of them are good for stimulating collagen, like the radio frequency devices. Some are good for pigment, um, like the YAG lasers. Some are good for broken capillaries and veins. And deeper structures, we might be wanting to relax muscles. That's where Botox or Dysport has its forte. Or we, we might want to go into the dish, deeper tissue planes and want to deal with creating structure. That's what dermophilus work will. Or it might be mechanical things, sagging tissues, sagging cheeks, jawlines, um, or in a body, breasts, arms. That's where surgery usually has a role. So you have a palette of different potential treatments. And depending what your anatomy is, what your goals are, you'd use just a right menu to fulfill what you need to do. Now, one, we've been talking about uh, mainly fillers and surgery, if, but since we're talking about a secret history of cosmetic medicine, if I may, can I talk about the story of Botox, which I think is a really fascinating and a little bit funny story. So Botox originally, this is about 35 years ago now, was we knew as a muscle relaxant, it'll block, essentially stop the release of acetylcholine. Acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter that allows nerve cells to talk to each other. And by doing that, it will relax muscles. And we knew that it would um, stop muscles from contracting. So originally it was used for muscle spasms, particularly spasms around eye muscles, uh, um, ocular spasms. And there's a story with, uh, there was an um, eye surgeon called Carruthers in America. And he noticed that he would get excellent results to stop muscle spasms with tiny doses of Botox. His wife was a dermatologist. And by sheer chance, she noticed older patients, they always want to come back for treatments, even before the spasm comes back, and they look good. They would have much less 
crow's feet, much less cranky lines. And she thought, oh, there might be something to this. So some of the early reports were from the Carruthers team, um, discovered that Botox can be used for aesthetic reasons, not just for medical reasons. And they still, to my knowledge, do lecture circuits talking about cosmetic medicine. So they were kind of the pioneers um, over a generation ago. And that's really started to become mainstream at that time. Trish, you're muted. I can see your mouth moving. (laughs) Whoops. God, I bet you people would love to be able to mute me whenever they wanted. But anyway... So correct me if I'm wrong. So I heard that Botox um, came about by, um, because it used to be like it was a treatment for people with headaches. Is that, do you know if that's true? Yeah, I'm not sure if you heard much of my story, but yeah, it was used for muscle spasms. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, right. On eye muscles Mm -hmm. and husband and wife team called Carruthers. Yeah. Just by sheer chance, and it was Almost by accident, like a lot of great inventions are, people notice that um, those patients treated for muscle spasms, they would look so much better. The crow's feet would disappear. And those patients would rock on up, even if their muscle spasms are still good, because they love the results, the cosmetic results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I know for a fact myself, when... Um... When I, because I do suffer from headaches, which is really ridiculous, because when I have Botox done, I don't get headaches for a, a, you know, a significant period of time, you know, so I think it's a medical reason for me. But anyway, um, you know, so, so that could, like, obviously it works for other things as well. And I know that um, you're talking about spasms, because I've heard of people having it for, um, if they do have, um, like, they give Botox to kids for, the, for a treatment. Do you know what that's about? Yes, well, yeah. Most people know it as a cosmetic treatment, but it's still used a lot uh, for medical reasons, including mm-hmm. muscle spasms. Mm-hmm. Kids, for example, cerebral palsy, and we might be talking about like neonates, babies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and spasm in the forearm muscle that doesn't allow them to have any use of that muscle. If you can relax in the right place, they can now have some function at arm or give give an ability to walk again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of rewarding to see that it's not just for uh, vanity medicine it's used for some true medical things mm. Mm. used sometimes for spasms or arytenoid muscles where people have trouble talking it's used a lot in teeth grinding which if you don't have it sounds like nothing but grinding in a masseter muscle but if you have it it's terrible you, get, you wake up in pain you damage your teeth and if you can remove that cause, because you're treating the cause of the problem, it's, it's one of the uh, reasons you do medicine, to be able to take away an illness. Sorry, Nicole. Sorry. I didn't mean to. You go for it. No, no, no. You're good. I was, no, I was, I was agreeing. Um, I, um, I'm such a left fielder. But um, looking at your website, and I don't know if it's the Piedmont or Darlinghurst Clinic, but it looks like you have the most incredible painting on your roof. <laughs> it, uh, it's so cool, hey? Website, hugely out of date. There's a lot of things we do, which is not actually even on a website. Like we do some minor surgeries, but we focus 
cosmetic medicine. Did you paint but, your roots? Yes. It's a beautiful old building. It used to be a stock bank, Commonwealth Stock Bank, almost 200 years ago. Five meter ceilings. And I decided you got to do something that roof. So there's these panels that we created, just a um, beautiful aesthetic picture there. Um, most people, however, because it's five meters tall, don't even notice. It's like I literally have patients years wow. later. Oh, what's that always do? <gasps> That's but incredible. You... Well, I was looking to see if you did buckle fat removal. Now, buckle fat removal. Yes. Did you say you want to have buckle fat removal? Yes, I was looking on your site to see. I wonder if you do buckle fat. Ever since Chrissy Teigen's had it done, it's become obviously very popular. Um, is that something that you do? Uh, that's usually a surgical procedure. For that, I usually refer to my luxury facial surgical column. Mm-hmm. Um, this, by the way, what is it? Well, we have fat in the buckle area, which is the, the cheek area. And if you have too much of it, and look, I have a full fat polished face as well. I know what it's like. But the advantage is it slims down the face and takes out a little bit of fullness there. But there's a downside to it. Part of the aging process, we lose volume. And although you hate the fullness now when you're young, strongly consider whether you should remove the fat because as you get older, you will thin out. And that's not always a good thing. As I say, that's not always your enemy. It can look gaunt. It can look hollow. And some people that had buckle fat removal, they regret it. Often short year or two later because the face looks too thin or gaunt. And you often have to have dermal fillers to replace the volume loss. Uh, but, yes, you can, but I have to refer to a surgical colleague. And I wouldn't recommend you do that, Nicole. Why would you do that? I was just going to say, what do you recommend to slim a round face? <laughs> Um, well, that's one of the options. As Like we talked about before, there's a whole palette of different potential treatments. Like in your face, it's hard to see you in this tiny little thumbnail, but you can see you have a roundish face, great, beautiful cheekbones, nice jawline. If I was to do an assessment of you, you'd have to have a look at, break the face into thirds, the top third, middle third, lower third. You look at proportions, the face shape, and in your case, it's quite oval, You'd look at the skin integrity. I'd want to look at a bone structure beneath, particularly your cheekbones and chin, and then determine what's best. But short answer, what can we do to slim the face? I actually like your cheekbones, and I think that's going to protect you, and you're going to like it, particularly as you get older. Rather than some of those thinner features, it will, you'll lose that, that nice fullness, that youthful fullness. But you want to make the face oh, I look... Love you. <laughs> So things to, well, one of the clever things, if you look at your face, your lower third, like me, is a bit small. You've got a strong mid face, strong upper face, but quite small low face. One of the clever things you can do is use dermal fillers in a structure of the chin, and that elongates your lower face. So now you're no longer looking round, you're looking more heart-shaped or V-shaped. And that, I think, will look awesome for you. I'm on the way to the clinic. <laughs> in this tiny little thumbnail but from a little bit of I think that'll be more important than just to surgically remove the fat there uh, other things you can do you can sometimes highlight the cheekbones but I probably would say you wouldn't need that because you already have nice cheekbones often as we get older too our temples hollow out from what I can see your temples look good sometimes we use dermal fillers to put structure there if you are sagging and I can't see a whole lot of jowliness there 
for sagging, usually mechanical things works best, either a thread lift or a facelift. Thread lifts I can do for surgical facelifts, I have to refer to my surgical colleagues. So there's no one easy answer. Head for a facelift, oh my gosh, that's, that's a bit scary. Different things, um, but yeah, surgery for sagging is always the gold standard, I say, mm-hmm. for both good and bad. So much information. I think you've highlighted the importance of having a, a full face assessment rather than going into a clinic mm. uh, with a predetermined, okay, I'm going to get my lips bigger today or this or that. How important is it to, to have an assessment with you? Oh, I think that's critical, um, whether it's myself or another colleague or my nurse colleagues. It's that's the first important part. You've got to have a plan before you do anything. Once you make an assessment, taking a medical history, doing it, it's almost easy. But you've got to have that plan beforehand. It's not in for a haircut and you might know what you want. Hmm. Well, that's it. We don't know all the options. So there may be tons of other options for a better outcome. No, absolutely. Uh, Patients that come in and say, oh, uh, they might only know about wrinkles you can improve in their cranky life, the glabella area. And they might not know you can improve that mold they've had a whole life or they're bumping the nose that they what they really don't like and um, which is maybe more important or it might be opposite that people might come in and have big problems with skin integrity and they're worried about a tiny wrinkle at the corner of the eye and they're often surprised but that's not the most important thing ultimately it's a collaboration with you and your doctor or nurse um but it's important to, if you sometimes disagree with your patients, say, look, I don't think it's an appropriate thing, or they might ask for something that's totally inappropriate. Um, they might have, like, someone who is 80 and wants to have very full lips. You have to have the right face around it, the structure around the lips. Otherwise, it looks out of proportion, it looks silly. I think, you know, what, what you've hit the nail on the head when you said if someone comes in at 80 and they want full lips, it's not going to work. And I, and I think that's why, um, like, I love the full lips, but I love them on the young girls. I don't like them, uh, like, on myself at all. So it, it, that makes sense to me. But I was going to ask you, so with the with when cosmetic medicine first started, how, how, what did you do? Did you just put a sign up saying, I'm now doing cosmetic medicine? How did people even know about you? Because, like... Not everybody knew that there was such a thing as cosmetic surgery, or did everybody know except me? Because I had uh, no idea. Well, 20 years ago, there was a couple of places um, um, in Australia, but it wasn't that well known. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky. I was working in ICU at the time um, and had a lot of cosmetic, cosmetic and plastic surgeons I was working close with, and they taught me a few things. And, uh, there's some further studies and yes, and I decided, yep, it's something I love. I opened up the first place on Harris Street in Piedmont, um, and I loved the work. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, um, my work was only very small, and I was still working in hospitals, but I knew this is what I'd love, and I'd do this even as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised um, 15 years ago when it actually became quite a big business and I had to give up my hospital work for it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because it's some, and it's probably, I reckon we've got the Kardashians to thank for that. Do you reckon I'm, I'm right? Because that's about when they started coming out about 15 years ago. <laughs> I think Pamela Anderson made a very big impact. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Baywatch, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I didn't know about breast implants until Pamela Anderson. Well, I was told, I didn't believe that Dolly Parton had fake boobs. I'm like, no way, they're real. Like, I, I didn't know that you could even do that when I was younger. Of course, I've, you know, of course, I've wised up now. But, yeah, I think people just didn't didn't even, well, the average person generally, I'm thinking, didn't really know about injectables. So so you're saying you put your, basically you put your sign up and the people will come, which is a little bit different to these days. But so tell me, what did you offer in those days? Like when you first started, what was like, if someone said, okay, I want to look better, what would you offer them? You know, at that time, the palette we talked about was much smaller. Mm. We, uh, Botox and Dysport, which is the, for wrinkle injections, muscle relaxants, and just a very small range of dermal fillers. A lot of it was collagen, that early collagen, which um, didn't last long, felt hard, and it didn't have anesthetics in it as well. So you know, people, if you were did cosmetic medicine 20 years ago, you might remember you had to do a nerve block when doing lips, for example. Nowadays, you rarely have to do a nerve block. There's anesthetic built in. Uh, so it could still do some things, but it was quite limited. And we're focused mostly on the lips and the nasolabial lines. Nowadays, there's multiple areas. Beauty is not just in the lips. It's in a cheekbone. It's the flow of the cheek to the curve. It's the shape of the nose, shape of your profile, the proportions. And he can address almost all of those areas. What, so what do you find that people are coming for more these days than they would have been before? Because like, because so lips have been, people have getting their lips done for a long time, have they? It's not a yeah. new phenomena. No, lips were popular. Oh. In fact, particularly popular, I think, in the early 2000s. They were very popular then. I think people live more, on most part, more conservative nowadays. Oh, that's that's a real surprise to me. I had I had no idea. Yeah, Pe- I mean, people always think that oh, that uh, lips is a new thing, but yeah. lips were one of the first areas that we use dermophilus for, because um, often you get quite a dramatic change. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not so much a great dramatic change, but you always get a dramatic change. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, but it's good to be, sometimes it's okay to be conservative. You don't have to have the biggest lips in the world. You want to have the best lips for you. Have you noticed a change over the years in the amount of men who are having cosmetic procedures? Uh, well, I've always, in our clinic, we always saw quite a lot of guys. I would say currently it's slowly increasing. A good 30% of the patients I see are guys. So approaching a 30%, well, more than 30%, approaching a half. Uh, oh, so wow. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. Or uh, good-looking um, people on a silver and a big screen do. It's something that everybody does. Well, mm. almost everybody. Mm. Some of my patients are the people you'd least expect. I have truck drivers, politicians, some of those blokey guys you can imagine. I see. No, I see. Uh, SAS soldiers, I include my patients. Um, actually, and they often talk about 
to the friends and often see the whole platoon because these are guys that often are very body conscious, very body proud, and they want to look after the way they look as well. So it almost makes sense that they want to look after aesthetics. Uh, it's not just um, for uh, the wealthy elite anymore. It's for almost anybody that wants to look after the grooming. Wow, I can't believe that so many blokey blokes come in because I truly was thinking, as soon as you said 30%, I thought, oh, it must be because he's in Darlinghurst and Piedmont. That's what I was thinking. Uh, no, that's not the case at all. I'd be imagining, oh, there's a lot of metrosexual guys and gay yeah. guys. Uh, look, there's some you know, flamboyant transvestites to look after, but the vast majority of the guys, um, heterosexual guys, uh, dads, brothers, um, guys that just want to look after the way to look mm. or maybe older guys that are re-entering the workforce and they feel they need to compete the way to look to look younger with um, young competitors they're working workforce so it's for anybody it's part of their aesthetics really that wants to look good mm-hmm. and and in so like at the beginning compared to now like when did lasers come out? Like, because I know that, um, like when I was 18, which is like 40 years ago now, I can remember getting a laser to remove the hair on my the back of my neck because I was very, very hairy Italian. I don't know, I'm not anymore, but I don't know what happened. But my neck used to be really hairy and, my, and I had sideburns, which is fine if you're a bloke, but if you're a young girl, it was pretty disturbing. So I went and had laser treatment then because um, this laser had just come out. So that's 40 years ago and it removed my hair. Like I've, I've only ever had that one session once and that was all I ever had and that hair's all gone, never came back. Um, yes. I know. I'm just, I, I wish I knew what it was because. <laughs> um, but... Be a yag, an early YAG laser. Um, but yeah, there's, and there's not just one type of laser. There's many different kinds. There's ones that you good for hair removal, like you've had. And they've been around for yeah, good 40 years and i'm um, getting a little bit better now i think the gold standard would be maybe like alexandrite lasers some are really good for uh, for pigmentation um, some are really good for resurfacing the face uh, so they've been around for depending on the laser uh, about 30 40 years and the technology is getting better and better what was the first laser that you got in your clinic it was an ideal laser IPL intense pulse light. It's mm-hmm. a good uh, generalist. It's a good workhorse uh, mm-hmm. for a little bit of skin in- integrity, broken capillaries, redness, and rosacea. It's particularly good for. Can you remove hair with that one? You can, and you still see some places advertising for that purpose. But I think there's better lasers than IPL if you if you just want it for hair removal. Yeah, that's that's what I thought too. Because I've heard someone that had it done with um. IPO, I'm like, why would you use IPO? But obviously, because that's like a, a not an older technology, but older technology for hair removal. Mm-hmm. Is that so right? You, yeah. You can use it, uh, but it's like using, um, I don't know, a sledgehammer to open up a walnut. It would, it'll <laughs> work, but there's a better tool for it. Yeah. Yeah. And what about in skincare? Like, so we've got la- we've covered lasers, we've covered um, a bit of injectables. What about in skincare? I guess that's jumped in leaps and bounds because um, I used to use all of Uland because, like, you know, that's what we all used, you know. 
I don't know how many years ago now, but maybe not even that long, maybe 20, 30 years ago. I'm not sure. I used to put olive oil on my skin to get a tan, which oh. never ever worked. I used to use baby oil. Oh. It's terrible. <laughs> Using butter. That works for tan, but don't do it. It's bad for your skin. <laughs> yeah. But so how, what about skincare? Has that changed in the last? Well, no, it has changed. But can you tell us a bit about the change from like 30 years ago till now in skincare? Because I don't think, was retinol even around there then? Uh, retinol has been around yeah, about 30 years now. Um, and if I may, analogs even longer. But skincare has changed. Before, it used to be just simple moisturizers with some branding. Nowadays, people often demand things which are more active, uh, things that actually do something beyond just moisturizing your skin. So often you have things that have added peptides that improve the skin texture and integrity beyond to what moisturizers can do. Some protection will become increasingly knowledgeable. That's super important. Um, it's not just to stop you getting cancer, but a big part of the aging of your skin is photo damage. So often a good skin care would have some form of uh, sun protection. And vitamin A's. Vitamin A, being a vitamin, you think, oh, this, this is kind of old school. But vitamin A, we're increasingly knowledgeable. It's one of the few things you can rub on your skin topically that actually improves wrinkles. Most particularly the early skincares, barely worth the marketing goes into it. But vitamin A makes a difference. Um, it has some downsides. In a high dose, it can make your skin easily sensitive, red and flaky. If you're using a high dose, do not get pregnant on it. It's bad. one of the few things we know are bad for pregnancy. Um, and it makes you more sun sensitive. So, so that's not... Is vitamin, is vitamin A retinol? Yes. Yeah. I hate to ask that question, but, I, I, but I'm sure it's retinol. But Yeah, there's a few different kinds of mm. retinols. There's uh, retinoic acid, tres retinol, and retinoates. But all of them are based on vitamin A. Mm -hmm. And vitamin A is really important for skin cell turnover. And what it does to your skin, it actually makes the lines better. Wow. So, Dr. Maz, before we wrap up, can you tell us your number one um, tip from all of your, your wealth of knowledge and years of experience for men and women to prevent the signs of ageing? What would you recommend is our must-do? Mm, just one thing, I'll have a <laughs> it's hard, plan. It? Uh, that applies to most things in life. Have a plan. Don't just haphazardly pick things because you saw it on a shelf or a friend recommends it. Have a plan and stick to it. As, and if just one part of the plan I would recommend, um, sun protection. If there's one thing you can do for your skin that's relatively inexpensive, that your body will thank you for, that will make you look good, and it might even save your life, sun protection. Such a good point because, um, yeah, you're so right there. Because, like, yeah. and it's only been the last, or for me, I've only started wearing sunblock probably since I've been in this industry because everyone used to bang on about it so much. And now I wear it, um, of course, every day. Um, but that's only been like nine years or so. But the importance of, yeah, wearing sunblock and keeping that protection, I, I reckon that that's a great valid, for, um, you know, only point. And, and exactly like what you said, I think have a plan. But I also, for myself, I think as well, that one of the really important things is to find yourself a practitioner or clinic and actually, you know, create the plan with them and actually, 
you know, don't go here and there and have this done here and be random and have this done there, which is exactly what I've been known to do, but actually go somewhere and have that plan and actually work with that, you know, organisation to create your plan to make you look good. Yeah, obviously, yeah, for the plan, have someone you trust. If you're doing your your bookkeeping, your accountancy, you don't go to many different accountants and to the taxi driver and talk to your, your barista you'd have one person you find that you trust and you have your financial plan of that person mm-hmm. body your face your skin that's arguably even more important have someone you trust that you can talk about it that's not there just because they want to sell you something that applies to also your accountant but it's someone that generally wants to listen to you wants to know what your goals are and wants to give you the best tools to reach those goals. So finding that, that first person, I think, to have, make that plan is really important. Thank you so much, Dr. Maz. This has been amazing. And I can't wait till Trish and I come in and lay on your floor and look at the ceiling. <laughs> okay. Well, you've got a high expectations at ceiling. I'll make sure the ceiling matches those expectations. <laughs> I love as well even it's virtually and um hope some of that was both informative but equally importantly interesting as well yeah that's been great look i've got to say before we actually finish up i've got to say when i first started in this industry which was 2013 you were actually the first person that i actually heard speak at a conference somewhere so i've actually been following you for the whole um, lot of years since I've been in the industry so it's um it's it was been really good doing this with you today especially because it's about the history well a little bit of the history anyway and we got a bit carried away but anyway it's covered a bit of the history of cosmetic medicine beg your pardon which conference was that I think it was um uh, a co- uh cos maybe cosmetics yes that's the one cosmetics oh I can't remember. It was it was in Sydney though. It was massive. Like there was lots of different rooms, and but you'd always stuck out for me. Like uh, you know, because I can't even remember why, but you were the one that I came to to listen to. But yeah, you were the first person I ever heard speak at a conference. So I've always been like, oh wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> okay, thank you. Our pleasure. Look, so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Lovely. And this is if you do want to find out um, more, if you want to go and see Dr. Maz, you can actually find him at Star Cosmetic Medicine. So you can just uh, look it up, but it's basically pretty easy, Star Cosmetic, Star Cosmetic Medicine um, dot Sydney. So it's very easy to find. Go there and Dr. Maz or, and his team will help you out. They're doing great work there. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Maz. And my pleasure, Trish. Lovely. See you, Nicole. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much. Thank Bye. You so much. Got a burning question for Trish and Nick at Aesthetics Uncensored? Slide into their DMs on Instagram at Aesthetics Uncensored. Stay positive, boobs and chin high.